It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. What's up? What's happening? Welcome into a special crossover edition of In the Huddle and Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman, co-host of Take Command and the Hoffman Show in D.C. on the Team 980 every weekday afternoon. My co-host on Take Command is Logan Paulson, played 10 years in the NFL. Uh, for those that are unfamiliar from the In the Huddle audience, that's us. For the Take Command audience, I think you probably know our co-hosts anyway. Brian Baldinger, of course, NFL Films and Odyssey Sports NFL Insider, and the great Jason Locke for NFL Insider for Odyssey Sports as well. Also hosts Afternoons on 105.7 in Baltimore. Fellas, I'm excited to do this. How's everybody doing? Hey, it's, uh, it's a good time of the year. You know, we're, we're counting down the days, pretty soon the hours to, uh, you know, to the draft, which everybody looks forward to. I mean, it's the highlight of the offseason. No doubt about it. So we got the draft talk coming for sure, but we had some major news this week that we want to react to first in the NFC East. Jalen Hurts signs what is the most lucrative extension in NFL history, the way it is currently constructed and also uh, the way uh, it exists right now before Joe Burrow signs his. Five years, $255 million at the 255 biggest number ever, 51 average per year, biggest number ever. Uh, Baldy, I'll start with you. You're a Philly guy. Like, What did you make of the decision and kind of the way this is structured for Philly and, and how it positions them not only this year but for the next few years? Well, you just think about this. Um, you know, Jalen Hurts is, is, was going into his final year of his contract, fourth year. Um, the Super Bowl ended – February 13th, they got this deal done on April 17th. In two months, they got this deal done, the most lucrative deal for any quarterback in the history of the game, and not even a whisper about it. It's just got you got adults in a room. It's a win-win. The Eagles feel good about Jalen going forward. Jalen loves the deal. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's the way you hope negotiations can go. And Jalen Hurts is 24 years old. I think he's only going to get better. He's the ultimate leader. Um, you know, they, they've got their quarterback for the future locked up without even like an ounce of acrimony from either side. And I mean, not not every deal obviously gets done like this, but the Eagles have a history of this going back to McNabb. They did this with Carson Wentz after his third year, gave him the highest guaranteed signing bonus of all time, $107.9 million. Like, they understand the market and that this thing is never going to shrink. It's only going to go up. And so they just get ahead of the curve, and they get their guys locked up. It was a great deal, and, uh, you know, Eagles are in good shape going forward. Yeah, one of the things I wanted to ask you, because, you know, you're obviously a big Philly guy, and, you know, you're, you're a student of the game, is is this deal prohibitive to their prior team-building philosophy? Like, one of the things about the Eagles is they had the best roster in the NFL. And is that now a sustainable solution for the next five, six years, um, you know, with this big contract around their neck? And I, I know Jalen Hurts is an excellent player, but I think back to the Seattle Seahawks and those teams with the great defenses and the second they paid Russell Wilson, all that kind of deteriorated. Like, I just wanted to get your thoughts yeah. on that. Yeah, you know, Logan, if you just look at the breakdown of what it's going to hit, I mean, Jason probably had, might have the numbers, but I mean, the salary cap hits, Logan are over the next four years, there's not a year where they count $40 million to the cap, mm. you know? And so they were able to maintain Fletcher Cox and bring back Brandon Graham and some veteran players. And Jason Kelsey is back. You know, they, they lost a couple guys, 
But for the most part, the core of the team, including both starting corners, are all coming back. And nobody thought any of that was was possible. Now, going forward to your question, they might not. But, you know, Lane Johnson got an extension this year. Um, you know, they, they let Isaac say a mile, Miles Sanders, uh, you know, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, they walked. But, you know, they weren't going to keep all these guys. And so I think they do a good job managing the cap, period. Jason, what can you tell us about the numbers and what this means for the market for the next couple of guys? And then we'll circle back around to what this means for the rest of the NFC East. Sure. Well, I, I mean, first of all, to echo Baldy's sentiments, it's the nature in which this was done, right? There was no leaks. There was no our camp, their camp. There was no our version of the numbers, your version of the numbers. There wasn't a whole lot of chatter about it, but there was an industry-wide expectation that this will get done because that's the way that owner works and that's the way the GM works. Um, and the player really wants to be there, and they built a system around them, and you don't wait long. You don't let this go um, longer than it should. You pounce after that third year when you know the player is someone of this stature. I haven't seen the full deal, but I've seen enough of it to be able to kind of piece together. Um, you're going to see rolling option bonuses from year to year that are fully guaranteed at signing but are prorated over the length of the contract. So, And we're talking, you know, they, they're controlling him for six years. It's, it's five new years on top of the, the year they already had. So what does it do for the market? I mean, if you're the team, you're saying, well, really, we've got him for six years. So it's 43 a year, which is pretty good for us. If you're Jalen Hurts, you're looking at the new money saying, hey, my new money is over 50. So I have set a standard. You know, so you, you can kind of finagle this and fudge this right to your liking. Like whichever side you're on, management or labor, you're going to find things in here that you like. But the bottom line is it was done quickly. It was done amicably. Um, and both sides are really happy with it. And, yeah, they're going to be able to keep adding players. Um, the reality is if you're going through with a guy on a franchise tag, the way these quarterback mm -hmm. salaries are going, that's when you get screwed. That's when you get handcuffed. That's when a dude's carrying $35, $40, 50000000 million in one year in a cap and cash scenario, right? So I think the Eagles will be just fine. And, and we get so caught up in the salary cap, it is such a fungible like malleable number. It's anything but a hard cap. You could go 70, 80 million over at any given year. The Browns did it. They didn't win anything for it, but go look at their cash spend versus the cap. Look at what the Rams have done. Look at what the Bucks did to sort of, you know, fuel their run. So don't, don't cut these billionaires any slack, man. They pay the people they want to pay, and they've got oodles and oodles and oodles of money to do so. Just to, for some context, I think just comparing the two deals, comparing what Lamar was asking for, compared to what Jalen got. Can you give maybe the fans some context? Because, like, to me, this Jalen Hurts deal, like, Jason was kind of hitting on it, like, just how team-friendly it is compared to what Lamar was actually for, which is, you know, $240 million guaranteed. Well, I, you know, this the Lamar deal should have been done at least two years ago, mm. you know. And so, I, you know, I don't – like, I, I just think, Logan, and this is not a knock on Lamar, you need agents – to go in there and do this stuff. Like players can't sit on the outside and just say, write me a check. Like it doesn't work that way. There's, there's structures, there's context. These, these contracts are portfolios, you know, they're, they're thick. They're, there's a lot of language, there's a lot of legal stuff that gets involved. We just see the outside number 51 million a year for, for Jalen, you know, but we don't see what J what, you know, Jason is, is sort of, I just felt like Lamar would he would have benefited by having Drew Rosenhaus or somebody in there that does this every single year 
with elite prospects and elite talent to get the maximum worth for him. And, and he, he chose not to do that. And I think he's, and I'm not saying it's, it's just because I'm not an agent. I mean, the Ravens are culpable in a lot of this as well. So one side did it one way, the other side's doing it another way and it's not working very well. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying, though, is that like this contract structure, you know, Jalen sets, you know, $50 million a year. It's this great big number. But the structure of the deal is the thing that is the thing that helps the team out, is the thing that gets the deal done. And like you're saying, Baldy, is that like because of that structure, it works well for both parties. And Lamar is, from what I understand, has not been very flexible on that. So just, you know, fans in this area specifically in Washington have been like, oh, you know, why is Lamar signed? And a little bit of it, it's, it's that nuance of the contract structure that makes a difference for a guy like Lamar as opposed to Jalen. Well, this is also something where the NFLPA is pushing for these fully guaranteed contracts, and I understand why, but you lose some of that fungibility with the salary cap that Jason yep. was talking about. Like, if they want fully guaranteed contracts, then you're not going to see some of the cash go to guys because they can't move it around and can't make the numbers work on the back end. Like, a lot of this is just accounting. And when you go cap cash tied together, which is what a fully guaranteed contract is, you lose that flexibility. So I actually don't know that fully guaranteed contracts. Well, I understand like getting as much money as possible is obviously the goal. What I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that fully guaranteed contracts are ultimately the way the NFL salary cap is structured going to be the thing that gets guys the actual most money over time. I think you could probably see shorter guaranteed contracts where there's not as much reason to move it. But I, the, like you said, the structure here is what makes this deal and also allows for the Eagles to continue to build over the next couple of years. By the way, also the fact they've got a bunch of draft picks and a bunch of young guys that are making rookie deals tends to help, which kind of gets us to the, okay, what does this mean for the NFC East portion of the discussion? Obviously, Washington's going to go with how Dak is, is, you know, we'll see what version of him shows up this year in Dallas. And they've lost some pieces, reconfigured a couple of things. The Giants re-signed Daniel Jones for, you know, on, on kind of a similar structure, but junior version of the money. Uh, and then you have Philly coming off a Super Bowl appearance where traditionally the, the loser of the Super Bowl has had an off year. But based off their roster, I don't see that coming. How do we stack up this division? Uh, Baldy, we'll circle back around uh, to you to get started. Well, you know, look, the Eagles won the first eight games of the year last year. We're eight and all. And Washington beat them in week nine. And they ran the ball really good. Brian Robinson had a good game. They ran the ball well that day. And immediately, the Eagles went out and signed Linval Joseph and, and Dominican Sue. Like, literally the next day. Like, we're not going to let this happen again. Like, that's just the reaction of how the Eagles operate. They're like, we lost a game. It, it was a blip. The, Washington earned the win. They, they got the win. They played a good game. But the Eagles, the reason why the, everybody's looking up the Eagles is because if they see a weakness, they address the weakness. You know, and it goes to your, a little bit of, you know, your, your, your talk here uh, about the salary cap and how malleable it is. Like, okay, salary cap. We need defensive alignment. We got, we got to plug these leaks. They fixed it. So they have the core of their team back. They still have the best offensive line of football. Um, they've got an elite receiving core. Like, I, you know, they lost their coordinators, but – They've, they've already made the adjustment. I think they're, everybody's looking up at the Eagles at this point. Um, I could go through the rest of the division, but to me, everybody's chasing Philadelphia. 
What about like New York? You know, obviously they just re-signed their quarterback. Like, what would you have done with Daniel Jones? I know there was a lot of debate about his value and, you know, the direction that team was going. Well, look, it was an unbelievable coaching job, to be honest with you, Logan. Like, I was there twice in training camp. And the first time I went up there, I remember their defensive coordinator telling me, man, I'm only allowed to blitz three times a period, Baldy. I'm making these guys look too bad. Like, they were, like, non-functional, <laughs> Logan. Like, that, I, I left there going, this is the worst team, not in the NFC East or the NFC. This is the worst team in football. And there they are in the playoffs. And now, okay, so they, they're a playoff team. They win a playoff game. Unbelievable coaching job by Brian Dable, Wink Martindale, and the staff. Now, you know, Saquon's not coming in offseason. You know, Dexter Lawrence isn't coming to the offseason. He wants a deal. Like, They've already got to deal with like success. Like, <laughs> what a pain in the ass that is. You win one playoff game and Saquon's upset about not getting a deal and Dexter's sitting out there. Like, that's hard. That's hard to deal with. Like, they're not good enough to act like that to me. I think the Giants, um, and I wrote about this in the Washington Post, talked about the In the Huddle uh, podcast. I don't know why they handled the franchise tag the way they did. Um, and there was a little bit, I think, of naivety and, and maybe panic. They should have put the tag, the non-exclusive tag on Daniel Jones and said, look, we think your best spot is here. But if there's something out there for you and we can get two ones and you think it's somewhere else, go. But with a limited sample size with our guy, who we think, you know, Abel had, we're going to use the Saquon, our Go ahead, Eckler, who can't get paid or a trade. Like, you know, and there's going to go in the first round. So we're not going to put any tag on you, Saquon. And the problem is they had 13 on the table before. They ended up panicking, putting the tag on them. Now they look at the market and say, he's got nothing. I mean, if they pulled the tag, what would he – like, where's his safety net? So he's pissed off, and I get it because, wait a minute. You thought I was worth more than the tag on a long-term deal that I didn't sign. And now I'm sitting here on the tag, and I'm not happy about it. But the reality is, I don't think he's got a market. So I, I think their misread of the running back market led them to panic on Daniel Jones because there's only one tag to go around, right? And now they've got a, a ticked-off Saquon. Saying all that, I, I believe in Brian Dable. Um, I believe in that staff. Um, and Washington, I'm very bullish on. Um, mm. A lot of smart people in that organization feel good about Sam Howe. Saying all that, I don't know. The elephant in the room, right, is – we're sitting here in oh, three weeks from now and the, you know, Harris is the owner and it's been voted on and there's that owner's meeting next month and everybody's on board. What's he going to think about year one with Sam Howe? And there's this 26 year old former MVP who did all that 35 miles down the road. And there's a lot of Ravens fans pissed off right now. And what would this look like with Lamar Jackson? So I, I think that is the one team on the other side of the draft who, you could kill people, including your fan base, even just by making a run at Lamar Jackson. You put an offer sheet out there, okay, the Ravens match. Guess what? No collusion case. You're, all your billionaire buddies are like, attaboy, attaboy. That one's going away. D. Smith can't say there's collusion. He got an offer sheet. You know, Ron Rivera's not your guy. Promote Eric Bieniemy. Hey, we got this lawsuit going on. Right There's not a lot, not a lot of diversity. Every year, Troy Vincent says, 5,000 questions. When's Biennemi going to get a job? Biennemi's got a job. Attaboy, attaboy. Who's the offensive coordinator? Greg Roman doesn't have a job right now. I'm just saying in the NFC, 
if they just ran the 2019 Ravens offense, which was the number one red zone offense, go look at Lamar Jackson in the red zone in 2019. With this group of weapons and this defense, they couldn't immediately compete? Really? They wouldn't be sold out? They wouldn't have a waiting list again? Yeah, they would. They'd be on prime time all the time, and that owner would be a hero. Well, the team we haven't talked about is Dallas. And uh, they've done a, they've done a pretty good job here uh, thus far, just from the standpoint of <clears throat> defense. They, they kept their defensive coordinator Dan Quinn, which was essential. I think defensively they've gotten better. Brains to find Gilmore, and they had a they had a, a real a real weakness all year long at the corner uh, opposite of Diggs. So I think that really helps them. And they made the right choice in letting Zeke walk. Like, it's a tough choice, uh, but you know you can only pay one running back. And they chose to, to, to pay Tony Pollard. You can find running backs in this draft. They're, they're in every single round. Everybody says it. They'll find one. They draft well. Um, Dallas will be very, very competitive. But I like I, – look, I like Washington. I like the direction they're going. Um, you know, I, I need to see more than, you know, than what I've seen from Sam Howell to be convinced. Like, I'm convinced that Jalen Hurts gives you a chance to win every week. Nobody in Washington can say that about Sam Howell right now. That's not fair to Sam. He's got to, uh, he's, he needs to be allowed to start his career. But I saw Jacoby Brissett play really well in Cleveland last year, really well. And he wasn't the reason why they were losing games. So I don't know if it's a competition or if Jacoby's just there to hold a clipboard and be the backup. I, I, I don't know how Eric's going to you know, run that uh, competition if it is one. I tend to think it's going to be a competition uh, because Ron Rivera would like to keep his job. And if, uh, you know, Sam's Sam's going to start ahead. He's going to get a head start. And if they think he can surpass Jacoby. Uh, but, Logan, we've talked about this a ton. Like, Brissett's a good bar. If you're better than Jacoby Brissett, you're a pretty good NFL quarterback. And if you're not, then you got Jacoby Brissett. And that's a pretty good fallback. I totally agree. I mean, I think that's the thing. That's the interesting thing about talking to people not in the market is like, what is the perception of the quarterback situation here in Washington, right? Because I think we are so, Craig and I are so close to it. We hear Ron kind of spinning it every week, but it's cool to hear Baldy say, you know, like if you think about it objectively, right, it's 19 throws in a Dallas game. And is that enough to kind of mortgage your future on? I think the interesting thing there that Jason brought up is like, if you're the new owner here, like, are you willing to pay that premium? for Lamar Jackson, not because he puts fans in the sands. Like I said, I think that's objectively something that's that would happen. But do you think he helps this team win football games at a high level, high enough to get you in playoff contention, high enough to get you like to be a Super Bowl, Bowl, Bowl contender with that $240 million contract kind of looming over this team? Like, does this team, you know, are they good enough to accommodate something like that? I think that's really interesting. And I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Jason and Baldy. Well, I would love to see. I mean, I don't think anybody – wouldn't um, like to see the combination of Eric Bieniemy and Lamar Jackson go to work. I mean, I'd like to see what the playbook looked like. I saw what Philadelphia did with Jalen Hurts and how they built a system around him. I mean, he became a great deep ball thrower this year because he had elite receivers. But, you know, I would like to see Lamar do that with the Terry and Dotson, you know, and Curtis Samuel. I'd like to see that opportunity to put the ball – you know, down the field outside the numbers, in addition to just seeing teams scramble to try to come up with game plans to stop the running game with him and be Rob in the backfield. Like that, that, that'd be a lot of fun. So 
but that, that you know, we're a long ways away from anything like that happening. Sure. It's just, you know, yeah. a, a scenario to discuss. But I, I feel like that's a long ways away from happening at this point. Sure. Yeah. And Jason, I think we talked about this when you came on my radio show. Like there's a Venn diagram of contracts that the commanders can offer and contracts that uh, that would be reasonable and smart and contracts that the Ravens would match. And there's no overlap of those two pieces <laughs> of a Venn diagram. So like, yes, I hear what you're saying on terms of like, Hey, like it helps, it helps the, you know, the collusion case. And, you know, uh, Josh Harris could make some friends in the ownership group, but realistically, like there's just no way that Baltimore lets him come here. So it's fun to dream about. And if you could right. acquire him, I think a hundred percent, they should do it. I just think there's zero chance that he's, he's coming here, even with a new owner. The worst case scenario is that, that this guy matches, but I'm for the league. And you said to, to your fan base that, look, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm about. You know what I mean? The days of balling on a budget and Bruce Allen saying we're winning off the field. Like, <laughs> we're here to get the best football players we possibly, even if it ruffles some feathers. And you say there's not a way, but I, I, I look, money talks. And there's voidable years. And if you put a scenario out there where Lamar Jackson's making $100 million in the first month deal, does Steve Bashotti really want to do it? And if he does, so be it. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it's especially if you view it through the prism of, of a financial premium because we're on the other side of the draft. And we're going to the playoffs with Lamar Jackson. So we're talking a 2024 draft pick now after I'm raising an NFC East banner in, the, in, in my junk stadium now, but my new stadium's on the way. Right. Like, what is what is that worth? I mean, it, it's the worth two, the two twos are in their team with Lamar Jackson. to pick 25 and pick a year from now and pick 28 the year after that or 26. I don't know. I mean, I hear you, but that's also best case scenario because he's also missed time the last couple of years. And there's just no way to predict all of these different things. It's very multifactorial. Um, I mean, we can. We could talk about this forever. And in fact, it feels like we all have talked about this forever. We have talked about uh, it a lot. So with, with a week left of the draft, uh, we'll keep things moving here. It's Take Command and In the Huddle crossover episode uh, from Odyssey Sports. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're watching or listening right now. All right, let's do this. Let's all pick one player quickly, like a 60 to 90 seconds apiece. Players that we think will shape the draft. Someone who, hey, when this guy goes, it's going to help shape how everything goes after him. Could be one of the quarterbacks. Could be you know a player that maybe is drafted above what his position value truly is. Someone else who's just got your eye in this draft that you think is going to shape specifically the first round. Of course, worth mentioning here that Baldy and JLC will be hosting our draft show for Odyssey. You can watch that on the Odyssey Sports YouTube page and on Twitch. Uh, Logan, I'll start with you. Who's the guy that you think is going to shape the first round of the NFL draft? I'll give you first crack at it. I mean, this is cheating because it's so obvious, but I think it's really important to acknowledge that if Bryce, go Bryce Young goes number one and the Houston Texans are not sold on C.J. Stroud, that's going to make one of those quarterbacks fall, Will Levis or C.J. Stroud, right? Because if, if C.J. Stroud is the consensus number two, Houston doesn't take him, Arizona doesn't take him, 
let's say Indianapolis takes him, then Will Levis is on a skid. Anthony Richardson hasn't been selected yet. So as much as that's like a boring thing to say, like that first pick is going to be demonstrably dramatic in terms of the effect of the top 10 and where those quarterbacks fall. And it could lead to a situation where, you know, a really good football player potentially slides down into that kind of mid-20 range and the team gets really excited. So, you know, that's kind of the most boring one, but I do think it's important to acknowledge that first pick is, is very significant. Yeah, and you know, there's been some rumors that Houston might not actually go quarterback at two. Right. That they might sit out a year and try to get in the Caleb Williams street sweepstakes next year. So that becomes super interesting if if the guy that they don't like winds up falling. Uh, it seems like Bryce Young's headed to Carolina, but uh, we'll see. All right, Baldy, who's the guy for you that shapes the first round? Well, I got to believe Jalen Carter. You know, at yeah. this point, um, because you know, like. Jeffrey Simmons just got a $100 million deal in Tennessee last week, and rightfully so. I mean, he's been a dominant defensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans, and they've been a top, the top defensive front in football at the very top over the last three years with him in there. And if you look at Jalen Carter, to me, he looks like a bigger, more athletic Jeffrey Simmons. So, you know, obviously there's these issues off the field, and we don't need to go into any of it. Um, but there's also a question of just his production at Georgia. And, you know, is three and a half sacks anything to get excited about? Georgia runs a crazy system. Kirby Smart, smarter than all of us together. So I can't dispute what he does when you win back to back national championships. But, you know, Jalen Carter could easily go number three to Arizona. There's no JJ Watt. That would be a steal. If Indianapolis makes a trade with Houston and they lose to Forrest Buckner, somebody in the middle if Seattle wants to be a Pete Carroll built team like they don't look any further than Jalen Carter like Detroit is on the upcome you know they won eight of their last 10 last year you add Jalen Carter in there with Aiden Hutchinson and what they have they get a whole lot better I mean you just go through the list I mean the Raiders have nobody to help out Max Crosby inside you know, the Atlanta Falcons that they've been adding defensive pieces and you know different guys Calais Campbell but there's nobody like Jalen Carter on that lineup. So you could just go team by team and go, he helps that team right away, having a beast like that in the middle. So to me, does he drop? Doesn't he drop? Where's he go? All that I think is going to be, uh, is going to be fun to watch. Yeah. I definitely want to hear everyone else's selection, but I wanted to ask you, Baldy, like, Removing the the legal stuff, you know, the thing that gets me a little bit concerned about him is the work ethic stuff. Yeah. How does that, how do you weigh that? How do you weigh the risk of that? Especially given, like you mentioned, he's, he's a very special football player, very, very physically gifted, but I want, I want to bet on a guy that's going to work and I want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, you know, 320 pound guys typically <laughs> don't play every snap, you know, with, you know, like you, like you're, defensive ends or your linebackers. So they're not that worried about making plays on the other side of the field. I'd like to see more effort. He couldn't finish his pro day. Like he just was gassed. Now there's extenuating. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. There's really no excuse for that. It's embarrassing. Um, I hope he's not Albert Hainsworth. I hope he's more Jeffrey Simmons, Chris Jones, Javon Hargrave, you know, than what we saw from Hainsworth and what you saw from Hainsworth back in the day. <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's why there, there could be a drop, you know, because somebody's saying, like, man, I need a better motor. You know, because ultimately, all you want in all these draft visits, all these, 
you know, all the things that we do over four months is you just want to find like, does that guy's heart, is it all about football? And if it is, then he'll get in shape. He'll be, and he'll play those talent. But if it isn't, you're going to have a problem on your hand. That's why Detroit's one of my favorite landing spots for him. Like get him in a room with Aiden Hutchinson and let's see what happens. Uh, Cause that dude's motor Peer is pressure is important. Yeah. Like that happens. You know, like, Dan, Dan Campbell, you want to play like as hard as Aiden Hutchinson, yeah. or you want to look like, you know what it's like, Logan, being in that film room on Monday, you don't want to be that dog that everybody's yeah. looking at. You want to be that guy that is playing harder than everybody else. Yeah. All right, Jason, your player that's going to shape the first round, who you got? Well, I'm, I'm going to go at it a little differently. I'm going to say two teams clustered together uh, okay. because I think they're wild cards. And I'm with you guys. I think Jalen Carter could be the first defensive player off the board. You can get pretty good odds on that if you're – into wagering on such things. Um, and I don't think he gets past Seattle, which means maybe Anderson falls a little bit because the high-end projection, the people I talk to, that you know, I think he's a very you know, he's a good football player. Is he going to be a great football player? Right. But I just keep coming back to Atlanta and the Raiders clustered together. Like, are we really buying that 85-year-old Arthur Blank is completely sold on Desmond Raider? Like, Dolph, they protest mm. too much about how much they love Desmond Ritter because I'm old enough to remember them not playing him till they absolutely had to a year ago. They played, they rode Marcus Mariani, who really liked their backup quarterback, would have ridden him. But now he's the solution. Okay. They've passed on a lot of quarterbacks. And I can understand Arthur Bonar, $50 million a year. But you don't want to take a flyer on one of these kids at $5 million a year? Because that's what Lamar cost his first five years, $33 million. Six a year, right? So I'm not buying that they're in on a quarterback. And the same thing with the Raiders. You know this. Josh McDaniel, best way for him to buy himself a little more time from the owner and the fans, because he's already on the hot seat, is to take a quarterback, right? I mean, what else hope more than a first-round quarterback? Because he's one like Anthony Richardson, who, guess what's baked in the cake? Oh, I'm going to get a few years in all likelihood, right? Like, they've got so many holes. But quarterbacks got to be... Like, is anybody buying Jimmy Garoppolo playing more than 10 games this year? If just one of those teams, right, if does one of those teams jump to two or jump to three all of a sudden to get a quarterback? It's a, it's a really interesting thought because it does seem like things always like that happen. Like some team does something that you're not expecting. And so we'll see if, if that's one of the two teams. I'll say for me, the, the Richardson, and I'll, I'll count like, uh, in a way, I guess Jason's player is Richardson and take him off the board for myself. Um, my guy's Bijan Robinson because yeah. he might be the best football player in the draft, uh, but he plays a position that you don't take in the first round unless a guy's really special. But I know I like I had Eric Edholm from NFL Media, a guy we all know uh, on our on my show yesterday, and he's like he's probably my favorite player in the draft. And you know if he's going to be Ladanian Tomlinson, that seems like someone that's worth taking in the first round. And could you see a team? By the way, Jason like Atlanta who wants to run the football more than anything else, take him in the top 10. You could. You could also see him fall into the 20s. You could see him fall out of the first round. And so he's, you know, if he, let's say, goes to Atlanta. Oh, no, you can't. That, I'm not buying that. I, I doubt he I doubt he falls out of the first round, but he's like, not he could fall into the 20s. No he could fall into the 20s. Um, and, and from there, you know, who knows? But, Maybe. you know, bigger point is like, if he goes seven to it or eight to Atlanta, where everyone's mocking Christian Gonzalez, that bumps all the corners down. Like that reshapes the draft in a way 
that is really significant. So to me, Bijan's the guy that is the biggest wild card probably in this draft because he could shift every other position group because you never account for a running back in the top half of the first round. Wait, wait, go ahead, Logan. So I just want to ask, so, so Jason, you don't see there's any way that he falls out of the first round? No way at all? I, I, I'll just speak with Jason. Yeah. I, I, I don't believe, Logan, that he could ever get past Dallas at 26. Right. Like that's such a Dallas pick at 26. Follows <laughs> coming off a broken foot. Zeke's not there. McCarthy has come out and said, I want to run the ball more and better than we did a year ago. Right. Like he's the perfect fit in that offense, which is a star-studded built team led by, you know, Micah, Dak, you know, CD. Like you'd add Bijan to that. Like Jerry Jones' head is going to pop off. By the way, <laughs> went to Texas. So he's a Texas yeah, guy. Right. Scar yeah. power added there. I, I just was thinking, you know, from an analytics perspective, there are, I'd say, I don't know, probably 15 teams that I spoke with at the Combine that were basically like, you know, we won't take a running back in the first round no matter what. But I guess, right. you know, like you've talked about on your podcast before, you just need one team. And I, I do think that, you know, Dallas is, would die if that happens. So that's a great point. Let's wrap up this crossover edition of Take Command and In the Huddle by going into Baldy and Logan's wheelhouse here. We're talking O-line. Baldy, you just put out last edition of your podcast, and I, I, you put this out in other places as well, your top five offensive linemen. I know you had specifically the top five guards on the last edition of the podcast. But, Logan, uh, you saw Baldy's list. What caught your eye about it, and what did you want to kind of circle back to in your breakdowns here? Yeah, I mean, like with the tackles specifically, I thought, man, Baldy's got a type. You know, he likes big physical athletes that like to mess people up. And, you know, I was a little surprised that a guy like, um, you know, Anton Harrison isn't on the list. So you got Dewan Jones ahead of a guy like Anton Harrison. And, uh, you know, I, I do see the value of Dewan Jones. But, you know, I think from a pass protection standpoint, Anthony Harrison is a little bit cleaner, you know. And, like, I'm always a guy – this is my philosophy with O-line, and you could agree, Baldy, is – Pass protection is more of like a feel thing, and you kind of got it or you don't. It's much harder to coach, and I can always coach a guy to be a better run player. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on kind of, you know, why why, why do you like the physical nature of the position so much, and why do you value that so much? And maybe why don't you look at Harrison and say he's, uh, you know, top three player in the draft? Well, I mean, Anton Harrison's a good player. I mean, I'm just talking about top five here, Logan. But, like, just the guys I, I know – in the Big Ten that have played against Ohio State, yeah. they'll tell you, I'll line up over Paris Johnson any day versus Dewan Jones. I'm not beating mm. Dewan Jones. I'm, I can't run around him. He's, uh, he's a Pacific Manta out there. I can't get around him. <laughs> and I can't run through him. And then you watch him, you know, with this wingspan of being seven foot five inches. Like, you can't get to his body. Like, to me, like, if you want a right tackle, like, I know, you know, Trent Brown is out there. Like, he's bigger than Trent. Like, he is – he's just an enormous, agonizing, intimidating player. And I don't know. Like, I, I just feel like – like, I love Darnell Wright. He's my favorite tackle in this draft. Like, guy started 42 games, saw him pitch a shutout against Will Anderson, did the same thing the year before against Georgia, going up against Trayvon Walker. Like – He's nasty. He's, he runs really well. That's what blew everybody away when he ran a five-flat 40 at, you know, 338 pounds, whatever yeah. it was. Like, Sick. those two guys on the edges, 
they look better. I Paris Johnson's a good player, Logan, really talented player, good kid, really good kid, well coached, one year attack. Like it's just yeah. like I didn't see him against, you know, Chase Young. I didn't see him against Nick uh, Bosa. I didn't see him against those caliber players that he's gonna see in the NFL where at the end of his at the end of his protections, he his feet come together, he looks too thin, his ankles look too thin, like he doesn't look like he he's going to anchor against some of these guys that can bring the heat like that um, right now. Like he might go I, into it. I totally it's agree. Not, I think. I have, and, and Broderick Jones is a really good player. He's 19 starts. He didn't start national championship game two years ago. Um, but I like his upside in, just because I think his sets are, you know, so consistent, so good off the ball. But And he's only 21. I know he's going to get bigger and stronger. So – I'm willing to say, okay, he might still be the best tackle, Logan, two years from now. But I don't know that yet. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up about Paris Johnson because one of the things that I, when I watch him, you know, he's he, physically he's got everything you want. But you watch him against Iowa, against like Lucas Van Ness, guys that are strong players, he just doesn't seem to kind of have that midsection strength the way that you yeah. need to kind of sit a bull, you know, like yeah. at a high level. And I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's not on the film. And, you know, like Broderick Jones, there are times – we're the same thing. You know, he's a little bit of a waste spender. So I'm not quite as high on both of those players. I, I think I'm betting on upside with Paris Johnson. So he's higher on my list. But the other thing I wanted to ask about Dewan, because again, I'm, you know, he's fun to like because he's so damn big. But like, do you think he faced anybody who was legitimate, like heat you up 90 mile an hour speed rusher off the edge? And that's something, you know, like I am, I have questions about because you see the power. You see him eat the bull rushes. He eats bull rushes like it's cinnamon toast crunch. You know what I'm saying? But can he beat? Can he compete with an elite edge speed guy at the NFL level? I think, like let's just say he lined up against Hassan Reddick. Yeah, one. That's the well, guy you're talking about. You know, it's somebody that caliber. Yeah, that's he's got you know speed and suddenness and quickness and you know can ghost you. Like that would be is probably his worst nightmare. But if he gets off on the ball. Yeah, Logan, he's going to be fine. You know, yeah. it's just if he's late off the ball, he's going to get smoked like against a player like that. He's just not going to be able to have the reaction time necessary. So that would be the concern. But, you know, there's ways to work on your set where yeah. you're not late. And, you know, you just study guys like Lane Johnson's league that actually leave before the ball snaps. <laughs> you know? So um, there, there's ways to counteract that, I believe. And just and that's that's good coaching. And the other thing I'd say is, too, like, you know, you mentioned the arm length, you know, almost 37 inches, which is insane. But he plays with great strength through that length. So He like, moves bodies, Logan. Yeah, I like so, to I, – I want guys – I see all these offenses, you know, they're just these zone offenses. Nobody moves anybody. They're yeah. just trapping them and moving them, yeah. um, you know, laterally. But they're not moving guys off the line of scrimmage. I watch this guy move the line of scrimmage. Like, I don't know, I'm from – you know, I'm from the old school of the Hogs. I want to see Russ Grimm moving bodies, man, <laughs> off the line of scrimmage. And so um, that's what I see from him. I, I see a people mover. And definitely your list reflects that. I mean, like, you, you seem to value that skill set more than, you know, other, 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 other coaches that I've talked to, which is fine because, like, I think they're all going to be good football players. And one of the reasons they're going to be good football players is because they're physical as heck. So – well, Logan, nothing nothing irritates defenses more or quicker than teams that run the ball down your throat. Like the bickering and the finger pointing during <laughs> plays is just like I'll never get tired of watching that. 
Yeah. And that's when you start breaking another team's sword. That's why I put such a premium on it. Mm. If you just lean on these guys, I don't care what their names are in the back of the jersey. They all act the same mm. when you're just, you know, popping those runs in the fourth quarter after leaning on them for the first three. And so, to me, that's still a great way to win football games. Last thing real quick, uh, kind of throw this around to everybody. Logan, we've touched on this a little bit on our pod, but as I look at more of these lists, and, and Baldy, you just mentioned, like Darnell Wright's your favorite guy in this draft. He's also a right tackle, which is typically not two things that go together, where the left tackle has been for decades the more valued position. How have you guys have all talked to coaches and executives around the league? How has that evolved over the last couple of years where we could see a guy like Darnell Wright be the first tackle off the board, even though he probably never lines up on the left side? Well, I mean, look, Lane Johnson is the best right tackle in football. He was the third pick in the 2013 draft. It was the right choice. Yeah. If you're the right tackle in this league, you see T.J. Watt. You see Von Miller. Uh, you know, you see uh, Joey Boza. Like, you'll see Nick, if he can't beat the left tackle, he's coming over the right tackle. Like, you're seeing at right tackle, you're seeing Hassan Reddick. I mean, you're seeing the best pass rushers. Um you know, if Montez Sweat goes over there, you know, like you're seeing the best pass rushers at right tackle um, every bit that the left tackles are seeing. So you better be able to protect both edges right now in this business. Yeah, I know, like uh, I coach some defensive linemen in the offseason, some NFL guys, and they call it you got to find the fish, man. Got to find the weakest yeah, pass protector exactly. and take, it, <laughs> take advantage of them. Right. And yeah. so. You know, now all these pass rushers, there's a dexterity there. They're not just rushing on the left. They're not just rushing on the white, on the right. You know, J.J. Watt, you know, T.J.'s brother, obviously, made a career because he could line up left tackle, uh, right tackle, left guard, right guard, and find that fish. And so yep. I think teams need to, in, in some ways, prioritize the position the same way. And I think that that's kind of what you're seeing with the draft is you want good offensive linemen because you need to protect your most valuable investment. Like we talked about at the top of the show, you're giving guys $50 million a year. You don't want them on the dirt. And so like the, the way to do that is get good guys uh, in there too, to protect the quarterback. Yeah. I think there's also position flexibility to it as well. Right? Like Skaronsky might be the first one off the board and he might end up being a guard. Right. But like, okay, well, here's the group, right? Like here's the pool of players. And who do we think if it doesn't work out here, it could still really help us win there. And, I just think the way teams are looking at offensive linemen on the whole has changed a little bit in certain degrees because of what a Quentin Nelson got. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you know, this year, did he worth that money? Maybe not, but he got it for a reason. So I think it's about, you know, trying to get someone who can help keep your quarterback from getting eviscerated. Because as Logan said, they're, they're the fewer weak links you have, it's a chess match. And you don't want them to be able to get their best player lined up against your worst offensive lineman more times than not. So, yeah, I, I don't think it matters nearly as much as if we were talking about this in the 80s, you know what I mean? And it's like, how are we going to stop LT and the whole blindside thing from the begin from the get-go? Yeah. Uh, keep your quarterback from getting eviscerated. That's that insider knowledge right there. All right, Jason Lockenfora, Brian Baldinger from In the Huddle. I'm Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson from take command uh next week for the draft uh you guys have the uh, as in the in the huddle guys have the odyssey sports draft show on odyssey sports youtube page on twitch uh, i think i'll be hopping on uh after the commander's pick so i'll see you guys then uh make sure wherever whichever feed you're listening to wherever you're listening wherever you're watching right now you're subscribed so that you do not miss 
an episode. Uh, again, if you want to catch uh, Jason and I live on the radio, uh, you can do that through the free Odyssey app. I'm on the team 984 to 7 each and every weekday afternoon in D.C. Jason, 2 to 6 in Baltimore on 105.7. Hey, let me, put, let me put you guys on the spot. What are the commanders doing at 16? Do you guys have a, a consensus Ooh. on what they're going to do right now? <laughs> if I, um, Deontay. I was going to – Deontay. Yeah, say, we'll be talking Deontay, about thanks. Deontay. I would say, so this is what I would say. If you're looking at it from an analytics perspective, the thing that's the most valuable resource in this draft, because like, you know, Baldy, you've alluded to it on your show. I'd say there's seven starting left tackles or start starting tackles, regardless of position, right? I think the problem is those guys are going to get pushed up. I think you'll probably see four or five go in the first round, leaving mm-hmm. two in the second round. So in terms of need, I want to find that tackle. And then I do think this is an exceptionally deep cornerback class. So as much as I love Deontay Banks, I think he's my third corner in the class. I just think you can get another guy like that at 48. So to me, I think you just got to play the draft and kind of play the analytics game a little bit. Look at the numbers, look how deep these spots are and say, if you're looking for a tackle, you got to take him in probably 16. I think you want to trade back ideally, but 16, let's just say hypothetically for this conversation, DB. And then I think you kind of try to pick up one of those centers potentially in the third round, you know, it's a pretty, pretty solid center class. So that's kind of what yeah. I would ballpark, okay. you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm team trade back. Just the way, the yeah. way this draft goes and the way it's probably going to fall, the chances that you, the, the, the last player in your top bucket or your second bucket, depending on how, how sharply you're drawing your tiers is going to go at 14 or 15. And thus you, you want to trade back, get value. That's my, my hope for them. Uh, but who knows, maybe they get one of these guys, like Skaronsky falls then, run as fast as you can get that card in and go from there uh all right that's it that's all for this edition of the show the plural and uh we'll see you next week right here on take command and in the huddle